Dr. P, the music teacher in the title tale, finds his visual and perceptual abilities so impaired that he mistakes his wife's head for a hat. The New York Times, January 25th, 1986. <clears throat> Mic check, one, two, one, two. Okay, bring an introduction right here. The Ordinary Times. Check, one, two. Stories for people who only attend church on Christmas and Easter where we explore the parallel narratives between the good news and the good newspaper. Extra, extra. In 1986, the New York Times did a book review of an author whose persona would later double as a character in a popular film. You may have first encountered neurologist Oliver Sacks, played by Robin Williams, in the movie Awakenings, but in real life, he wrote the book that it was based on, and also a curiously titled work entitled, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. That later work is the one that the newspaper reviewed and serves as one of the narratives in the case studies of this British doctor. Dr. Sachs tells a true life story of one of his patients that had visual agnosia an impairment in recognition of visually presented objects. It's not due to damage to the eyes, but to the brain. They can correctly see things, but cannot correctly recognize them without informational context. Wikipedia describes it as thus. If a person correctly perceives the forms and has knowledge of the objects, but cannot identify the objects. So in short, Yes, a man once confused his spouse for an object that we wear on our heads. You could go so far as to say that he objectified his wife. Rimshot, please. If you happen to attend church this Sunday, then you may have encountered a similar episode from the Easter reading. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, Jesus' follower, Mary Magdalene, comes to his tomb and encounters the risen Christ, but mistakes him for the gardener. It's as if she experiences a type of visual agnosia, because without the proper context, she cannot recognize him. After the crucifixion, she was used to seeing Jesus dead, but after the resurrection, he is yet alive. But that's not the only religious parallel to Dr. Sachs's book that I want to discuss here. There also seems to be a reversal of the man who mistook his wife for a hat between Christ and his wife. Now, despite what you may have read on the Da Vinci Code, history proves that Mary Magdalene was not Jesus' wife. But the Bible tells us who is. It's you and me and every believer who has been baptized into faith in Christ. Scripture refers to the church as the bride of Christ. But the more I look at it, it seems like Jesus's wife is experiencing a type of visual agnosia. Many people don't recognize who Jesus really is. Worse than that, we can sometimes objectify him. 
not as a hat per se, but as an American, a warmonger, a libertine, a capitalist, a persecutor, an escapist, a motivational speaker, or any other role that we have projected upon him. It's almost as if he never even spoke about who he understood himself as. And trust me, he did. So when the Ordinary Times podcast started, I researched and reported through the stories where Jesus revealed how he is to be recognized. Then when the actual season of Ordinary Time took a break, we changed the format to interviewing people from different parts of the body of Christ about their stories. And at the end, I asked them a surprise question. Who is Jesus? This morning, we'll review their answers. Gospel. The Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Extra, extra! Who is Jesus? Jesus is God incarnate, who has shown us how we are to live in this world. I, I said Jesus is love, just as God is love. And that love resides in each of us. And so we have that love that we are called to share as children of him in whatever way, shape, or form the world needs it. We usually talk about Jesus as the son of God. I, I, heard, a, I, I heard a theologian say one time, and it's, it, it's like, if we get stuck on Jesus is God and man, then we get stuck in dualistic thinking. What if we thought of Jesus as God as man? So God, the unlimited, became the limited and walked among us on this earth. And what does that mean for humanity? So it's that Jesus is the living God and he's the living man. You know, Jesus is, you know, Jesus is Yahweh, you know, on earth, you know, and, and um, I, I think that's, that's what's, I, 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 find, I find a lot of grace in that understanding. My best friend, <laughs> the son of God, All right, my sable skin savior. Um, a the quintessential human. So for me, Jesus is um, the crux upon which I've built my faith. God here, who came here um, as 100% man, 100% God, um, as the, the fulfillment of the law, the perfect fulfillment of the law, um, the kinsman redeemer, 
and then the ultimate sacrifice, um, allowing me to return to the Father uh, when my time comes. So that that is who Jesus is. That's who he represents to me. Well, the way, the truth, and the life, right? <laughs> he's, he's the son of God. You know, he is, he is who he says he is. Um, uh, he is the healer of our souls, the lover of our souls, you know, the, the one who calls and the one who um, who, uh, who gives us the strength to, to follow. Gospel. The Gospel according to John. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying. Yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre, weeping. Extra, extra. We started off this episode discussing the New York Times' book review of The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. To an outside viewer, church can be seen as a really big book club. But in that version, we only review one book, the Bible. The problem with that view is that it's only partially true. The Bible isn't one book per se. It is scores and scores of books. The Bible is an anthology inspired by God and written by many authors about their understandings of that God. But in a collection of writings that big, composed over hundreds of years, how does one get a central message? The answer comes with the parts of the Bible that we call Gospels. Those four books serve as a narrative of the Jewish rabbi that we call Jesus. Not only did he review the prior book's understanding of God, but he also understood himself as God. When I asked some of our guests who Jesus was outside of an oversimplification or objectification, they rightly countered that he was simply the object of our faith and the agent of our salvation. When we inquire of scripture, what that faith provides us salvation from, it is death, sin, violence, and judgment. So when the risen Christ spoke to Mary Magdalene, he did so as a victor who had personally conquered 
all four death, sin, violence, and judgment. But the Bible is a big collection of big and small books that say different things. How did we come up with that single central message about Jesus? Well, when asked to justify his good works to the suffering, Jesus himself said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me and you will not come to me that you may have life. So on each episode of the podcast that focused on interviews, I asked each guest about their experiences with this book club that we call the church. And I wanted to know how they went past Christianity as a study of literature to a sanctified lifestyle. After asking them, who is Jesus? I followed up with the second question. What is the gospel? And their answers showed me that the gospel meant more than books and beliefs, but a way of being. In a moment, we'll listen to their answers. Gospel. The Gospel according to John. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend to my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Extra, extra! What is the Gospel? It's the story of the good news available to us through a life in Christ. The gospel are, are the messages, are the love letters from heaven that have been transcribed or that have been transmitted through human beings. Um, but namely about the way Christ works with us both then and now. The gospel is his message of love. 
And so we are called to be the messengers of the gospel in whatever way, shape, or form they may look like in our settings. What I would preach the gospel would be different with my young people here at Peter Claver versus what I would say and how I would preach that love of the gospel uh, with the Congo Square community. Uh, the Indians and the uh, baby dolls would be different from how I preach the gospel when I do a prison retreat. But in each and every way, I'm representing Christ. So the gospel is uh, us. The gospel is the tool that we use to bring Jesus to others. And so when we talk about, I think, the formal gospel, of course, we refer to the Bible. I, I believe there are people's personal relationship through testimony can also be the gospel. Them telling mm -hmm. their personal experience how Christ has truly led them in their lives um, away from sin and um, into a greater understanding of who he is to them and uh, the benefit that they have in getting to know him and to understanding the sacrifice that he made. So for me, it's it's not just the, the formal book. It's also the, the, the life that we live exemplifies Christ. So that's the gospel. It's the testimonies that we give that talks about his influence in our lives. That's the gospel. And then of course, understanding who God is, who Christ is, we find that in the formal book, um, the Bible, um, that, that explains gives us some insight of course not all but some insight as to who christ is so that would be the gospel for me it's the good news you know it's uh it's the good news of christ it is that that love uh in ways we can't understand conquers death and conquers evil not in the ways that we might imagine we might imagine that that is you know in some sort of worldly uh power and and might um, but that love conquers death uh, in the way that Christ conquered death. Uh, that's, the, that's the good news, and, and that we are promised that life in Christ through that. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, we just look at the gospel as just the good news, you know, and, and if we just look at the gospel as the good news, and I guess my way of saying this, um, besides literary concerns of the four books of the gospels and all that, is you know there's a lot of reasons um particularly if you live in ukraine right now or other parts of the world um to think that and a lot of valid reasons to think that we do not live in a good world that we live in a bad world that we live in an evil world um and i think the tiebreaker i mean the the good news is that in the question as to whether we live in a good world or a bad world, Emmanuel, God with us, is the tiebreaker in that question. You know, to say, you know, that God's lo so loved the world that he sent his only beloved son. And, you know, to give us an everlasting example of goodness, um, through which we continually try and fail to live up to, um, but also, but really to be with us, you know, on that journey and to help us and to push us and to pull us and um, and to celebrate and mourn with us. Yeah, you know, I think 
that's the, you know, my, my experience has been, you know, that God is that tiebreaker when it, you know, when it gets easy to think that, you know, good will, that bad will have its way in the long run. Because in the short run, bad often does have its way. You know, <laughs> you know, evil does have its way. And, you know, God is that tiebreaker saying, no, you know, it's even if things continue to look bad, even if things look, <laughs> even if, you know, questions we thought we'd been making progress on for the last few decades, we've been sadly exposed that maybe we haven't made as much progress as we thought, um, that, that there, at the end of the day, that we have a God who loves us and who's with us. Yeah, the gospel is to live out and follow what Jesus had done, to prioritize what Jesus said who he is about, you know, Luke 4, um, to set the captives free. If, if our mm. gospel is not liberative, um, then I really don't know. And if it's not, if, again, I shared already, if the gospel is a gospel of release so that we can freely love God, uh, release to to love ourselves, to love each other, to love God's creation, um, to be in harmony with that, and to make sure that that's not just you, but it's for all. Um, I think that's the gospel. Dr. P, the music teacher in the title tale, finds his visual and perceptual abilities so impaired that he mistakes his wife's head for a hat. The New York Times. All of those interviews were recorded this year, 2022, but they take me back to 1986. The year that the New York Times did that book review of Dr. Oliver Sacks' The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Because in comparing the narrative in that collection of stories and the narrative of Jesus in the Gospels, I think that I may have come at this whole thing backwards. When I asked how the church, the Bride of Christ, saw Jesus, maybe I should have been asking, how Jesus sees his wife. When Christ looks at his bride, does he even still recognize her? What does God see when he looks at us now? I guess the answer all relies on how you answer what is the gospel. Yes, it is the good news. Yes, it is the story of the life of Christ. But as Mary Magdalene found out one Easter Sunday morning, the life of Christ didn't end when everybody thought it should have ended. And I guess for a brief moment, as that Mary ran to tell the remaining disciples that the life of Jesus, the living content of the gospel, had not ended, the gospel message of faith in Christ as salvation from death, sin, violence, and judgment dwelled in this one woman alone. 
I guess that what I'm trying to say is what another woman preached to me in our interviews. Yeah, the gospel is to live out and follow what Jesus had done, to prioritize what Jesus said who he is about, you know, Luke 4, um, to set the captives free. That is the historic testimony of scripture. That is the belief of the church throughout the ages. The gospel has not ended because Christ's life has never ended. And if I am to believe that the spirit of Christ as the Holy Spirit dwells in you that believe, then the gospel is commissioned, continued, and completed in your life. Because scripture tells me that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. Salvation doesn't mean that you are getting a free ticket to heaven, the kingdom of God, after you die in spite of your wrongdoing. But it means that every day the kingdom of God in you is saving you from death, sin, violence, and judgment while you yet live. And the Bible tells me that when God looks at you, the church, the bride of Christ, he sees Jesus. And likewise, the world changes when you recognize Jesus in others.